My name is David Rutili. I'm the former WBF International Super Featherweight Champion and the former WBF All Africa Lightweight Champion. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another awesome, exciting show on Ringside Talk this evening with your host, David Rutili. Today, I've got a very special guest, a man that's been around the world promoting fights, promoting man, uh, fighters, managing fighters, um, with a lovely history in kickboxing and in boxing. He had, uh, as a pro, 36 fights, 26 wins, 16 of those came by KOs and eight losses. In his kickboxing career, he went on to have 20 fights, 10 losses. In his amateur boxing career, he had 10 fights, nine wins and one loss. He's managed and promoted many great fighters around the world, especially South Africa. He has uh, managed to put me on the map, winning one of these titles behind me, the All-Africa champion. I'd like to introduce you the one and only, I call him Papa Steve from Catacola Promotions, Steve Catacola. Thank you very much, David. Uh, it's really nice to see what you're doing in boxing belt at the back, back there uh, yes. it really gives me when you're promoting boxing it's not just what the boxers do at the but it's also so they can win as many belts as possible but it's when you've been a promoter to know what they're doing after boxing and I'm really happy after boxing and I wish you all the best Thank you very much, Papa Steve. Thank you very much, Papa Steve. The viewers don't know, I call you Papa Steve. Uh, you were like a father to me in my boxing career, I think for three, four years when I was living in Cape Town. But we will get uh, to that story later on. Um, Papa Steve, I called you onto the show today. Um, firstly, I would like you to please just tell the viewers who you are, um, I've told them a little bit about you, just uh, who Steve Kalakoda is, where you're from, where you were born, and just a little bit about, yeah, who you are, where you're from, and your early childhood, Papa Steve. Well, uh, I was born in Cape Town and uh, lived in uh, District 6, my, from the age of one to about and um, it, uh, it was actually in District 6 uh, got my first introduction to boxing so um, my boxing career really took off when I joined the Navy a physical instructor in the Navy when I was 22 years old and I was introduced to boxing on a higher level at the amateur level uh, when I was in the Marines for 26 years. And after I, after my thing as an amateur, I fought some of the best amateurs South Africa produced. The late Basil Thomas. Mm -hmm. I fought Brett Taylor, who was a, a, I fought Brett Taylor three times. Yes, and, uh, Brett Taylor. I remember one time in the city hall in Durban. It was the first ever sick. He won the fight. He was a brilliant boxer and he was voted best. So in my amateur career, that, that was one of my highlights to fight something, somebody like Kevin Durban City. So, so, so yeah, my uh, uh, the Navy, I became a sports officer which helped me for promoting. I was in the Navy. Being a sports officer, you have to learn and uh, doing sporting events, athletic events, boxing events. The trade to when I left the Navy to become a professional boxer. So yeah, oh. that was the beginning for me. Oh wow, that's very amazing, Papa Steve. So what I'm hearing from you is uh, during your time in the Navy, you had your amateur and. During that time is when you actually started to learn about promoting, as you say, you were doing little bit shows 
in the Navy already. Um, so that was getting yes. you uh, prepared for for going into manage uh, promote promotion. You could say. Yeah, you know, you, you know, when you do events, it's it's completely different thing to being a promoter outside because in the military it has to be on time. Everything has to be hundred percent. Has to be in the military eight o'clock is eight o'clock is not one hundred past eight. You learn to do things properly, and I'm very happy for all the young which was very good for me uh, it helped my organization uh, when i became a professional promoter it was it was my apprenticeship yes your apprenticeship you, you did in the in the navy um, that's actually that's very amazing uh, as you were saying as well you were doing that before you went on to become a professional i never became a professional uh, okay. I had more than 100 amateur fights, you know. I fought at the South African Championships. I represented the Navy in uh, championships. And when I stopped boxing at the age of 32, about 100, just over 100 amateur fights. And you know, in championships, you had three, four fights in, in, in two, two or three days. Uh, you, you you can you can have a lot of fights as an amateur, which helped you as a pro. I'm a professional because I was in the in the military and the navy at that time professional. I had a very good job. I had a subsidy in my house. I had free, so I didn't need. I didn't want to become a professional. I was happy, but I think as an amateur, I remember fighting uh, uh, in Johannesburg. Iceland. And uh, at any future events, no four, three, four, five, five thousand people. So it was it was like a pro. All the fights were high quality. Because you're fighting again. I've just mentioned the late Basil Thomas. I've just mentioned, uh, you know, Fanny van Stad and Harold Fulbright, all those guys. Guys were amateurs, teachers those years, so the quality yes. was extremely high at that time. You didn't want to, yes, I could only imagine uh, at that time, even those names you just said, you know, uh, good fighters, um, even Harold Forbach, you know, even Brett Taylor. We grew up in South Africa hearing about those kind of fighters, you know, and it must have been very, very, uh, uh entertaining and uh, very good at uh, around those times did you ever yeah the thing you know the good thing about those years was this the the guys that became professionals those years and early 80s and 70s were all amateur boxers south african champions they were all very good and those years had over 80, maybe 100, 155. Why the standard of boxing those years were very high. Like Brian Mitchell, you look at Corey Sanders, you look at the late Corey Knutson, you look at Gary Kutsia, you look at Francois Bota, Harold. Out of those names that I've just mentioned now, there are three heavyweight champions. And they didn't win uh, uh, major titles. Harry was a WBA world champion. Cole uh, was a WBO uh, former heavyweight champion. Francois Bota, IB, IB, uh, uh, sorry, IBF. Uh, all three of them won those titles outside of South Africa. That was standard in the 70s of boxes and Brian Mitchell was one of our best and uh, mm. uh, he also had a long, long days that is not the case you know so I think that's that is that we don't have the same standard of those years 
because men and women can become professionals without having, say, any. They don't even have to have, some of them don't have to have an amateur. Amateur fight, yeah. That you in the 70s and 80s. Yes. So that's the, the reason why they are boxing. And if you look at amateur boxing at the moment in South Africa, we, we don't have uh, amateur boxers that can win Olympic. If somebody wins a Commonwealth fight, then we're very lucky. If they get a win in the Commonwealth, so I, I think you know, for me, having fought as an amateur in, in that time, I, I think something needs to be done uh, in South Africa. The level of amateur boxing, and then we will get good professionals like the ones. I hear you, Steve. I hear you. Steve, I just want to ask you quickly, uh, if you can just maybe reset your your screen quickly so that we're having a bit of feed break. If you can just reset uh, your window quickly, Steve. One second. And then in the studio, they can play the intro there for us, please, quickly. While we reset here. Okay, guys, I'm just speaking to Mr. Steve Katakoda, and uh, he's just resetting his his browser so we can hear him a bit more clearer. Steve is one of the uh, all-time great promoters in South Africa. He promoted me for one of my belts here behind me for the All-Africa title. Uh, we're going to catch up with him now, hear more of what he has to say. Very interesting that he was um, in the Army, doing amateurs, and while being in the army, uh, right. okay. then we go much better. Yes. You happy? <laughs> yes, 100 times better, Steve. Okay. <laughs> yes, better, better. Yes, man, so you were telling us about the difference uh, with the levels with the amateur boxing back in those days and what you're having now. And you touched on something very nice with it's like also work like it gave me something to think about that back in the days you said the amateurs had mostly over 50 to 80 amateur fights before they turned professional these days anyone could turn professional as you say and you say you don't have the same same skills of fights fighters as you did back in the day can you continue with that for us, please, Steve? Very interesting. Yeah. You know, you you 50. Those years, if a fighter gets to the, to, to represent this in the, in the national championships, 50, 50 fights is almost he will have. Fighters that win, that had an opportunity, unless you're a knockout in your own, own province before you get the national championships, you can do it, but most fighters that represented their provinces were fighters. So my point is this, the, the, they were organized tournaments almost every week. Yeah. At, at, and those years, amateur boxing was... Now like it's, was it's not a school sport. Yeah. It, it was a school. When you go from Cape Town, you go up, up those years to the Transvaal and fight there. Boys, they, they've already had 20 fights, man. Or even they already had, uh, uh, made, they've already had 15 fights. I took my son up to the South African Championships as a junior. He fights. And he ended up fighting uh, Ruben Grunewald the finals as a welterweight of the junior division. And after that, Ruben, 16 years old then, uh, not long after that, uh, Ruben Grunewald became, and Virgil became a professional boxer. But uh, I mentioned too, they became a very good boxer. And, uh, but if you was asking before he became, a professional, probably more than I'm under. So that mm -hmm. was the, 
the difficult now. You know, okay. if, if we can get lift the standard of our, we would automatically the standard of our professional boxing will be better. There's another important point is the organization of tournaments at amateur. In the 70s, amateur tournaments were held at schools at nights, and it was well attended, it was well organized. So I can't say if that is the case now. Maybe it's not the case. That's why you and uh, but I think if we can, I'm sure they can do something about that. And the boxing will go up. I just want to make another point for you quickly. Yes, you know, many years Mike Bernardo and Zolile Mbichi to Tijuana in Mexico. Uh, I don't know if you've heard about Tijuana in Mexico. Tijuana, yes, I've heard about it. Where the best, the best fighters in Mexico, they come out of Tijuana. They came to fetch us in, in San Diego and we drove over. I stayed there for a week. And what I noticed in Mexico in time was that every municipality in that city had a community hall that was a boxing gym. Every community wow. hall, there were maybe 150 kids and professional boxers. The, the most, most important point, the municipal coaches, yes. in every every session that I went to, why is boxing so, so strong in Mexico? And, 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 and Friday was it till 6 o'clock at night. Late afternoon, the professional, but the whole, whole day trained. And the same coaches who trained the amateurs, trained the pros, and now. There could be five, six, eight coaches all paid for by the and the municipality finance the the, the city, the halls where they are training. And on Friday night, the same facilities are used by professional up and coming professional promoters. And you know, the municipality we're helping promoters. So the municipality is is helping the professionals. Professionals are helping the amateurs. So everybody is helping. The municipality everybody. was helping everybody. You know, all the that community all were paid for by. I asked him who's paying these guys. So they said no. Everybody that's here, that training, fitness coaches are paid by the municipality. The, wow, the cool. whole everything belongs to the ministry. So if we, you imagine if we have something like this in this country, yeah. the best boxes, the best professionals. And it's just we produce the best professionals. I think that is something in South Africa that we can look at the standard of boxing in yes. professional and amateur boxing. Yes, 100%, 100%, 100%, 100%. Now, with Going back to uh, you going as a promoter, Steve, uh, as you said, from the army, you know, you started doing your promotion. Do you remember when your first proper uh, official, you could say, Kettle promotion fight night, uh, first night you, as a promoter, do you remember any of those fights or that fight in particular? You know, I will never forget the first, the very first it was at the Weinberg Military Sports Complex. Okay. Event, the first event, the very first event I was uh, of America was a French guy and he had a contract. So my, my first promotion was not a small event. It was a European. I had a partner. And he said to me, can we do a show there in South Africa? And I said, yeah, I'll show. I actually took out the license then. And we did an event at the military sports was okay. Henry Akanwandi, the former world champion. Of course, Eurosport paid all the costs. 
and it was because states of America. So we had a fantastic start. My son also fought on a guy from Romania, and uh, I can't remember the name now of Wandy uh, Ford. I also had another heavyweight from Nigeria uh, that fought, uh, uh, he was a, a all African amateur champion, Franklin. Fantastic tournament, the first tournament at the Weinberg military, and it was called. I was very lucky with Eurosport. Uh, if you do an event on Eurosport, you you in, in Europe now. So when you if you make one mistake, they never come back. Eurosport came back years to do live events from Cape Town. Oh, wow. That's amazing to hear that. So, and, and, and you know, if you ask the, the best fighter on, on my first book, was actually the best. He was a, a former uh, a world WBO champion and a European champion, originally from Nigeria, but he grew up in England. Okay. You know? Nice. It sounds like uh, you started off and you started off with a bang. And uh, from there, and your show with, with the bang. Yes, yes. And uh, yes, I know Eurosports now, this side of the world. And that uh, you say after your first show, they carried on working with you for shows and shows and yes, shows. I had events after that. Um, you know, uh, like I say, we. I was fortunate to work with Eurosport, and then later on, I managed to get people to come on board because then the events we promoted on Eurosport were also it might be ten or twelve events like that. And um, right through, uh, uh, I had in boxing uh, was with TV. You know, myself and Jeremy Dean was my partner. We were Specifically in the evening, still two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, Jeremy proposals, proposals after proposals for television networks to work with. One night I was sitting there with Jeremy and he said to me, Steve, we've done so many, never then get a contract with anybody. And eventually I said, Jeremy, not give up. We have to continue. We will find somebody after maybe a hundred or hundred and fifty proposals that he did some really good proposals you know yeah. top quality proposals eventually we it was a four-year contract and then we had boxing every <coughs> month. you were actually the fighter that fought the most on the crazy board yes but yes i remember what we did is we could promote in the south Africa, uh, Ghana, uh, uh, Zimbabwe, Namibia, is and, and we did very well because on, it became so popular that uh, we had a night fight. An average of 240 people, 200 watching those events. The reason for that, that was that we took countries to the national television in different, like you could watch it in Nigeria, in Ghana, in, in, in Kenya, all over Africa, for, on your national television. And that is what, we got very high ratings. Yes, I remember but, that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it lasted only for four years. And, um, and, 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 and uh, some trouble. And uh, then, after that, I stopped. I didn't okay. good innings. We all had a, myself and Jeremy had good innings. And, uh, you know, we uh, we tried to help as many fighters as we can. We had intercontinental titles on all the events, which was a requirement from Question TV. Uh, experience for me and Jeremy both. And, and, um, and stopped, you know, I, I, that was the, one of the highlights for me. But okay. the event that I really love doing 
it was the first event uh, that was held in the in the in the in the Grand Wish Casino. Grand Wish Casino. Bernardo fought for the W uh, against an American guy. Uh, 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 full title on that book. But the most important part was uh, uh, was it went live on SABC and live in Japan. And in, in Japan, because the event was held in Africa, had 80 million people on a Saturday afternoon. Wow. So that was a major highlight for me. Um, I would never forget that tournament. The, the casino was playing, and, and um, uh, uh, Mike won his fight, he won the WBF his fight, and uh, was after, it was, was the first K1 event that was. In South Africa, yes. You know, at that time, K1 was a very popular brand in 110 countries over the world. So, so the whole focus of the kickbox at that particular event. Yes. Oh, wow. That's amazing, Steve. That's very amazing. Even how you could switch from making boxing events to going over to K1 events. And you know, your events, you know, um, sounds like they were just getting better and better and uh, bigger and bigger. It, it never shrank down where you were in a situation where you wanted to quit and saw that, you know, the promoting is not going anywhere. Did you ever have such uh, times in, in, your, in your career where the promotion was just like you felt is going nowhere, you're not getting any sponsorships, you're not getting any uh, help from the government or anything like this? Uh, I, I must think for a promoter, there must be a lot of hurdles you go over, you have, or you encounter. David, if you have a military background, it's called fastbait. Fastbait. Fastbait in English means. Never mind what the problem is. So it's like that. Because if I have a moment like, like that, I have to that's life. You find a solution. If there's a problem, you find a solution. Share something with you. You know, when you promote a, a boxing tournament that's going to be televised and eight o'clock you go, 240 million people are going to see this fight. A day before the fight, the main event Fighting. The boxing board don't pause the fight. A fan might do wait. What do you do? You can stop the tournament. You have to wait. So we had many plans like that. In fact, I you for for the WBF title. Before the fight, the guy pulled out. He didn't want to fight you. <laughs> yes, I remember. I remember. Yes, yes. You want, you want the title, but that's the situation. Your, that's the question. There is no time. There's no time for thinking to do. You just find a solution to the problem. Okay. That's. I thank God. That's what I did. We. Always, we had a great team with Jeremy. We had a wonderful team. When there's anything happens, we find a solution. Yes. And uh, talking about solutions uh, and this, this is very interesting, especially coming from a promoter like yourself. Uh, I'm just going to touch on uh, Connor Ben. You know, if, uh, if you were Eddie Hearn and Connor Ben was your fighter and something like this had to come, where you have a big show coming up and one of your fighters come test positive for drugs or steroid use. As a promoter, 
what what do you do what uh, uh, how do you go about this you know even having I, to carry on but shows coming your your fighter is the one that's positive you're supposed to be well uh, uh, you know this is this was a very big fight this is a very big fight as a history because those two boys were world champions and they were big, big names in boxing and yet never happened in boxing i don't can't remember something like this happening but, but these two young guys were going to fight each other they were going to their dads with you know so the fact that they stood positive uh, I haven't, I haven't heard about the B sample. I don't know the ins and outs or the details, but I don't want to be position, you know, <laughs> just so close to the fact that happened three months ago. You know, I, I'm sure the promoter could have, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know why. I don't want to be in his position. I to find a solution for this to be quite honest <laughs> because it's such a big fight you know i don't want to be in eddie Hearn's shoes uh, this now nobody knows what's going to happen you know i i hope they can retest the guy or something or the b sample comes back negative because everybody was what wanted to see this i wanted to see Fight very history yes yes i understand and uh yeah it must be a very difficult time now for the promoter mr eddie Hearn, at the moment um but yeah i think uh as an athlete also as a champion you know you you should start stay as clean as clean 100 all the time or every time you know uh, even in and out the ring even after your boxing but we will see what happens with that. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Papa Steve, you even said, uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the famous guys you've promoted. I know you worked uh, with uh, Franco Buerta. Uh, Franco Buerta, for the, for the viewers back at home, fought Mike Tyson before, uh, known as the White Buffalo. You got um, a privilege to, to promote him and manage Franco, if I'm correct. I uh, uh, got an opportunity for Francois, as you know, he's a very, he was, and um, he was definitely one of the, the most famous guys, Mike Bernardo and my son, yes. that, that, that I promoted, and uh, not uh, uh, coach. And I remember uh, uh, he was going to fight somebody there, and I said, Francois, the Japanese people the k1 are interested about you in 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 the k1 and yes. i was really not expecting because here is a former world champion and 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 he come and do kickboxing then and when i called him he said to me when do you want us to meet the people in japan i said we can meet them as soon as you get a visa i will arrange for you to get a visa i'll get a visa and so Africa, and the next week we will contract for four years, and oh. I work Francois in the K1 for nine times a year in the K1. It became an instant success. People love Francois, but the one thing I can learn about Francois Boerta, Francois Boerta has that I've worked with him. Every training session that guy joins, he loves training. You know, he will never be late. He was one of the very few guys that I've coached that's always waiting for me. We were in Japan. If I'm still in my room, we have to meet. Uh, when I come downstairs, Franzo would already be sitting waiting for me. He's like that. So he was a great. Great guy, but 
the most important thing about absolutely no fear. Yes. Francois Boita fear and nobody else. I remember sitting with Francois like an hour prince in Tokyo. And the and he, he was a guy from Holland by the name of Peter Arts. Peter Arts of Wonder Cave is the most devastating fighter. I've seen him break their legs. And now Francois gonna fight this guy. And and, and uh, Peter Arts and his team walked past me and so I greeted them. And I said Francois sitting next to me, I said, Francois. He said, What? Is that Peter Arts gonna beat this guy? I didn't know what to say. I was this guy really doesn't have any fear for anybody. Is it going to happen? Oh, four days later, he fought Peter Arts in the final in the Tokyo Dome. He beat yeah. Peter Arts. Wow, okay. So, really teach a lot of potential boxers how themselves and how to win. In yourself, you can win. You don't look at somebody else. You, he never looked at anybody uh, and thought this guy is better. When you fought Tyson, how did you feel? You said, like any other fight. You know, some people will be overcome with fear if they fight my type. And look at that fight. Francois had no fear. Tyson from the word go. So yeah. that's what I've learned from an experience and, and he's a wonderful person to work with, you know. You all think that someone who was uh, Vladimir, he fought Vladimir Klitschko, he fought my fought, uh, 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 he fought all, all the best heavyweight, he fought even all the best heavyweight fighters in the world. But he had no attitude. Absolutely yeah. no attitude. Yeah, I'm actually. So it was a great experience for the four years that I've worked with him. And, and uh, at that time, it was a really a good time, you know. And uh, nice, nice. To work with us as a IBF World Heavyweight Champion and, and switch to kickboxing. That was the best. Another feared fighter in who came one that everybody was, you know, France, Jerome Labana. France, knocked her, uh, nobody could believe what was happening. It's not possible. I would no kickboxing uh, experience, experience to fight at just the highest K1 level. and beat the top guys. I mean, have you ever heard of anything like that? No, no. Yeah. Yeah. You can't compare table tennis with, te with tennis, you know, from boxing, world champion. Mm -hmm. And if you fought the best guys in kickboxing, check to France or France, don't kick these guys because they, they were born. You've never kicked anybody, you've never trained. Block those kicks and box them. And we were very, very advice to my son. Virgil Calacurdale, the same advice to Mike Bernardo. My advice was don't kick. Blocks. And box them. Stay as close as possible. That was a winning recipe. Yes. Nice, Steve. Nice. It sounds like you had some good journeys with, uh, you know, with Mr. Fons. Me and Franz, uh, I'm gonna Mike, try. Uh, my son, uh, Virgil, we were in Japan, we the time that we spent in in, in Japan was 16 years, well organized tournaments, televised live all over the world. As I 110 countries, you know. If if a if an event goes live and 28 million people watch it live, you know it was just a great experience. And Japanese 
all wonderful people to work very honorable yes. uh, you never have to worry about anything nice steve nice nice i also there's one time i wanted to go fight in japan or in china still wish that could happen but papa steve i want to ask you a question um as a promoter i've always wondered as a promoter slash manager what is it when you guys look at an athlete and what draws you to a certain athlete or a certain boxer? Is it you guys know this guy is good looking, he will bring money into the, into the he's going to sell seats, he's going to make the promoter money, he's a good fighter, he's going to go far, we will win champions with this person, they will bring us pay-per-view. What is it that a promoter looks into an athlete to work with them and to use? I've always wanted yeah. to know this. Okay. okay. You know, uh, Adrian, you know, uh, they look at the different promoters, look at the different things in America, you look at the promoter in, in Europe and you're looking at the promoter, in, there's budgets, you know, it's different budgets. So, so you can, uh, uh, a good promoter in America will have a big budget, which can, which means you can go the best fighters in the world. The guys in Europe, if you look at the, the top, you look, look at the top mm -hmm. promoters like in, in, in Europe, Eddie Hearn has got a, with, a, with a big streaming company that's worth more than a billion dollars, you know. And then you, you can go to Japan, they work with television networks like TBS, television, which where they, they also have very big budgets. And then you come to every situation. You know, Africa. <laughs> in some provinces, uh, reality, you know, uh, completely different budget. So, my son was a boxer. I was a boxer. So, I professional boxing when I was promoting, give the guys the best. But you use uh, spending money that you don't have, you know. So, your question. Is uh, I think promoters everywhere only do uh, with uh, their best with a you know um, what the for with fighters is obviously to win a main fighter can win a WPC title or a WPA. Then, then you know uh, 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 can generate money for the fighter. He can get bigger purses, uh, international exposure. Uh, there is uh, let's say, for instance, if I must make a, uh, an example, you win a WBC title, lightweight title, and someone wins that title in the United States of America or in England. First of all, they can have now build you up to become a, WB, a WBC uh, intercontinental champion. Now you can go and defend that title, in, defend that title in Europe, where you will get a very big purse to fight that purse. If he wins, things only get better the more and later on you can make if if if, it, if the guy is names and, and you can make deals with television with showtime you can get a share of pay-per-view that's why guys like canelo uh, uh, davis these pockets at the moment and also in england they make their money with money because only only uh, ten come to the event, but a million people can watch the fight at home on mm -hmm. pay per view. Eight dollars or pay hundred dollars, ninety nine dollars, you know. So that's for fighters. But you know, David, not everybody can get there. Yeah, uh, I think. 
že ty, že te opnieš voor South African fighters, of African fighters to make it, there fighters that have made it big time already. Mention someone like Harry Kutcher, Brian Mitchell, Brian Mitchell, very successful. Uyani Bungu, another, was, 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 he won the WBA title. Uh, mm. uh, and uh, if you can get to that level, then, then guys can make a lot of money. Because if the fighter makes a lot of money, then the promoter can also make money because if 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 I take the fighter to fight a deal with the promoter in America to have a percentage of pay-per-view or have a okay. percentage of sponsorship over there. Okay. But in South Africa it's 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 very difficult to get that position unless you fight out Okay, interesting. Very, very interesting Papa Steve. I never even knew uh very interesting. <laughs> I knew I would learn a lot from this uh, this chat with you today, Papa Steve. But very interesting. Yeah. You now, can I say? Can I say? Uh, the promoter needs the no. The promoter needs the manager. No. The promoter needs the boxer, or is it the boxer needs the promoter? Promoter can get any boxer he wants. Promoter can get any boxer. Don't fool yourself that becomes very successful. The promoter needs the boxer. But the promoter can always find the best of them and build them up. But if he has a boxer that is just mentioned now, that get opportunities to fight in, in foreign countries in Europe and, and, and fight on pay-per-view then the promote both on force he's gonna make money both of them are gonna make money I'll be quite honest with you uh, uh, I think the advantage <laughs> that is a fact the advantage is always you know, because boxes come and go yes okay if the box is not happy with the promoter, you know, that is always the reality of boxing. But for me, I think it's very, very important to have a good relationship with boxers. You know, I've, I've, uh, you are a very popular guy. You, you, you drew, drew a lot of people to boxing. You, you know, you, 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 oh, you were always smiling, but you had a great personality everybody loved you would have liked you, you to fight maybe for a wbc or, or the important thing we're promoting you was you might make exciting fights in, Durban, in the casino when you fought in durban I remember. Fight. Uh, yes. and it was promoters look here's a secret I want, a, if someone sits at home and wants to fight and he wants to go, he's, gonna, he's not going to get up because he doesn't want to lose to watch every second of that second of the fight. And if you can promote fights like that, fights that where, you, where we promoted you were like that. It, it was from the first minute to the last minute. <laughs> You know, that personally, as a promoter, that's the kind of fighters I like. That um, that come forward, that, that that make exciting fights all the time, because that's what people pay to see. Who pay for? Yes. If I back and stay on the back foot, that's not the kind of fighter you want. That's not what people see. And. and uh, so that is a so that is another point. Yeah, so that you could say is another point to a promoter. Uh, if we have any boxers watching out there, is also the type or the fighting style. The promoters look for that. 
good fighting styles in fighters. Uh, a fighter that doesn't have to always win, but can bring exciting fights, keep the fighters in their seats, uh, you know, make sure that somewhat when they leave the arena, they say, one hell of a fight I saw there. Is, uh, that works as well David, on our... Let me share something with you that I've learned. In... I went to tournaments in Japan. I used to go to Japan for 16 years. You know what I've learned in Japan from the Japanese? We go to a tournament in the Tokyo Dome, 75,000 million people watch at home. You know which fighters, the ones that make exciting fights, that comes forward, those, it doesn't matter what you look like, David. You know, they want your looks, they worried about your heart. Fighting spirit, exciting fights in Japan. You're gonna fight every month. That's why all the strategy to be aggressive and to be and and such. I spent 16 years there, nine eight times a year. And when I was promoting in South Africa, uh, uh, was the same strategy. Sometimes my partner. Different, different from me, but when I was uh, making for A against B, is just going to be an exciting fight. Now we stop with the ball. Okay, the code of promotion because we made exciting fights. That I don't know if other promoters are looking to learn that in Japan. I've seen the success of that. And, and with question that. If you make exciting fights, people will watch or they will pay the fights. And that's the case all over the world. Another thing is if you have a guy that if you if you think back of the late Charlie Weir, he was a knockout and he filled the stadiums because everybody wanted to see someone else. That's another thing. You know, if you see knockout. If you see exciting fights, people are going to come and watch. So I, I, that's what I'm looking for in, uh, as a promoter in fighters. But these promoters uh, are looking for that. Okay. Very nice, Steve. Very, very interesting. And uh, yeah, man, it's very nice to, to, to see in depth of, you know, uh, what you guys look for what you've been through and uh, touching through some of your highlights. It's uh, it must have been an amazing journey with, uh, with everything you've done. So you said that you have, uh, okay, in boxing, you hang up your gloves. I don't know what you call it in the promotion world. You say you're done with promoting now, Steve? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, David, I've been involved with boxing. Uh, uh, I'm not promoting anymore. I, I'm, I'm done. I've been in boxing for the only person I'm, coach, I'm coaching at the moment is Ruan Fisher. Ruan Fisher, South yeah. African heavyweight. I don't know if you know Ruan Fisher. He was a yes. former South African, South African heavyweight, all African heavyweight champion. Now, for 35 years, having coached mostly heavyweight. I've worked, uh, actually, to let me add this to you, I wanted to work three weeks with the best boxing, the late box, best boxing, Emmanuel Stewart. When Lennox Lewis came to South Africa to fight all title, uh, uh, they trained in Johannesburg for three weeks. Wanted some of my boxes to spar with him and uh, I went up and stayed with him for three weeks so for three weeks I could ice coaches in the world Emmanuel Stewart it was a major work with someone like that I've learned a lot from him you know and uh, I mentioned that earlier 
but uh, that's probably one of the major highlights in my life. Uh, as far as so one fisher is concerned, I don't want to now waste my time on uh, because you know yourself, if you coach someone, you have to spend a week with that person and build him up to become a world champion. The only person that I'm coaching at the moment is Juan Fisher. Okay. Uh, the reason I'm coaching him because I might agree with him, but I know he's got the heart and he. He's got the size, he's got the reach, he's a fast learner, young guy, and I'm 100% sure that he, he will get to the top. You know, if a guy uh, 100% in every training session, and you know, you know, to coach heavy weights and to coach lighter weights, Completely different. The work rate is different. The power is different. Uh, 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 you train him to knock people out. If people don't want to watch a six foot nine guy and go the distance. They want to see knockouts. So you have to have the ability to knock people out. And when I started with Ruan, we had five fights, five, five knockouts. His last fight in the first round knockout. You know, he fought in Germany, it was a first round knockout. So I thank God I have it to teach heavyweights how to know way to teach them. Because, uh, uh, so to answer the only guy I'm involved with, I'm not promoting anymore. I'm 70. So, uh, if so I've done it all. I thank God for the giving and the ability to have all over the years and the opportunities. Uh, but at the moment now, I'm retired and I'm only focused and uh, I'm sure he's going to get to the top. Nice. I have I've got a question. Go. I've got a question now for you, Steve, from one of the viewers that are watching. They're hearing you speak about your boxer, Ruan. Uh, Eddie Barrington wanted to know, can Ruan uh, beat uh, Tyson Fury? Could he take on Tyson Fury? That's one of the questions okay. for Uh Ruan is not ready to fight someone like Tyson Fury, number one. He is one of the most uh, gift, naturally gifted I have ever seen. I, I'm, this is my personal opinion. I'm with footwork. is the same like the late Muhammad Ali. Tyson Fury weighs 126 kilograms. He's a big guy, but like a, like a lightweight. And I think his, his second fight with him and he got a new coach that was a system of him. Manuel Stewart taught Tyson Fury to use his size to go yes. to to put pressure on his opponent, and I think he didn't have to be an elusive guy. He's the most elusive guy, and uh, I don't. He's in a position to fight Tyson Fury, not now. You know, in a year. Let me let me put another. Uh, I think Tyson Fury will beat Alexander Yusuf. Yes, he thinks so. Think. That's how highly I rate Tyson getting very highly. I don't think Ruan is the same size as Tyson. Nine. He's 128 kilograms and uh, not the same elusiveness, but he's got other strengths. But need more, more time to get, get to that yes. Tell me something, Not Steve. Uh, sorry to cut you there again. About your fighter, Ruan Potts. If you can tell us just a little bit something before we end our show. I know he trained with the great 
fed him not uh, not Putin. Listen to me. Uh, the great heavyweight fighter, the the twins. Um, he was the sparring partner. Oh, you want to know of Ruan's Yes, he was a Klitschko. Yes, he was the sparring partner for the Klitschkos. Sorry, I was yeah. saying Vladimir let Putin. Me, let me tell you what happened. When, when My bad. I started off with Ruan. I said to Ruan, Ruan, I think with Vladimir Klitschko. And he was just shaking his head and he's shaking his head. And Ruan told me afterwards when he walked from walked away in, in Durban, the Wild Coast, he said when they walked away, he said to his sparring nonsense, I will never be able to spar with Klitschko. I called him. I said, everyone, Klitschko is confirmed. But I am first going to say to go to send you to New Zealand. Now you may ask, I sent you to New Zealand. Zealand. Yes, to work with the best amateur coach of Oceania. All, all the islands and, and, and New Zealand. Lolo Humili, coach, he, he took many teams to the Olympic Games since 2012. To, uh, to, to, the, to the Commonwealth Games, he went uh, 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 Olympic Games with, with fighters. And Ruan needed to learn the basics of boxing from a good amateur coach. He went to Klitschko. He went to New Zealand to train with Olympico. He, that time, could spar with some of the heavyweights. Uh, Parker was one of the in that gym. Joseph and Parker, yes. He had an opportunity to work with the best amateur coach while he was there. When he came back, it was now time for Germany Austria to spar with Vladimir Klitschko. And one day, and he said to me, uh, there is a problem. I said, uh, uh, he's going to waste his time. I have to apologize. I've made a mistake. The coach of Rouen said, ready to spar with someone with Vladimir of Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, Klitschko was a world champion for 10 years. You're going to get a terrible hiding over there. His coach, the father, made a commitment to me that he can go. He should go. So that, before they uh, uh, had to finally book his ticket and everything, his father said to him, if you, I've given Steve for you to go to Austria and spar with Klitschko. If you don't go, you take your stuff off this farm and I never want to see you again. And there one was. Ruan was now sitting between his coach and at that his dad said, I don't want to see you again. You're going to spar with Klitschko or take your stuff and leave. The next morning he's booked the tickets. He's going to spar with Klitschko. Oh, nice. What happened was many articles in South Africa of, of people who said the Sunday, the next Tuesday, he's going to get, get the hiding of his life. Three weeks later, and Chris Crawford and Anthony Joshua. After Anthony Joshua, Judge or Tyson Fury, I'm not sure. After, afterwards, when when Klitschko had his next fight, I think first fight was against Fury, so he sparred, yeah. sparred with him. When he sparred with, with against Anthony Joshua, the first sparring partner in his camp was. I said to Ron, "You're either gonna live or you're gonna run back." If you if you if you're getting a hiding, you 
That's all I need. He stayed there. He went for the second time. time and he became the top sparring partner of Vladimir. Yes, I remember that. I remember Ruan was going up and down to help the Kishkos at the stage, which was very good, yeah. Steve, which was very good. So, Steve, I must say, as we can talk all night. We've come to the end of our awesome show. And, uh... I forgot all night. No, thank you, David. I appreciate it. It's nice to share his man, you know. Yes, and, uh, and it's uh, very nice. I, as I said to you, when we started, I'm glad. I, I uh, appreciate to be on your show, and, and I wish you to go from there. Thank you, Steve, and uh, thank you for having me on your shows. I fought many times for Mr. Steve Kerakoda. As I said, uh, one of his fight nights, I actually won one of these, the All Africa WBF title for uh, Steve Kerakoda was promoting me. And uh, you had me on your shows, Papa Steve. Thank you for being on my show. And I hope the, the audience enjoyed this talk show. Um, we're having another interesting, a very, very special guest on Friday or Thursday. Uh, stay tuned, guys. And thank you for tuning in to Ringside Talk this evening with your host, David Rajuli, and the great promoter, Steve Kerakoda. We hope you guys you enjoyed it. God bless you. And uh, God bless you all. And thank you very much. Okay. We'll see you guys for our next episode. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Bye-bye.